Are you ready to take your business to the next level? Every day there are countless books and articles that are published offering the key on how to make your business a success. It's easy to feel overwhelmed trying to keep up and run your business. That's why Deb Creer created the Business Power Hour. Keep up on the latest trends, best practices, and techniques for how to make your business a success. Let the Business Power Hour do the heavy work for you. Good morning, good morning. I am Deb Creer, and I am passionate about giving professionals the tools that they need to make themselves and their businesses as successful as possible. And we're going to have so much fun today and learn a lot because we're going to be talking about leadership. And this is going to be so interesting because right now, you've got to admit, it has got to be one of the most challenging times to be leading an organization that we're probably ever going to face. And it doesn't matter if you have an organization of two people, 2,000, 200,000. In fact, obviously, the more you have right now, the more difficult it is because we're right in the middle of the pandemic. And so this is going to be so interesting to talk with my guests. So please join me in welcoming Peter Montoya to our program today. Welcome, Peter. Yeah, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much. Great. Well, let me tell people a little bit about you and then we'll just dive right into this. So there are gifted speakers, best-selling authors, and successful entrepreneurs, but rarely do you find all three in one person. Peter Montoya is that rare exception, a thought leader, a skilled orator, and a leadership strategist with real-life experience driving his insights and ideas. His business acumen, inspirational journey, Human behavioral insight and decades of real-life experience have helped him to become one of the most inspirational and sought-after speakers and coaches, specializing in leadership development and creating high-performance teams. When he isn't transforming organizations around the globe, Peter lives with his amazing wife and his two teenage children, who are probably home now, in Orange County, California. So again, Peter, welcome. Thank you, Deb. Great. Well, let's go back just a little bit and tell us how it is that this is that you discovered that this is your passion in life because you have done several different things. Yeah, I've had I've definitely been a serial entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. I've owned advertising agencies, finance companies, technology companies, mm-hmm. gyms. I've done a little bit of everything, but at the end of the day, my passion really is and being a witness mm-hmm. uh, and. Uh, inspiration to seeing people transform. Mm -hmm. Transformation is uh, absolutely thrilling. Mm -hmm. It's when somebody actually has a new understanding of who they are or what they can achieve Mm -hmm. and being around people who are transforming is truly a thrill. Right. I love it. And, you know, it's leadership is something that for some people comes naturally. For others, you know, they they have it, shall we say, thrust upon them, Um, you know, and and then there are those that maybe shouldn't be leaders, Um, but, you know, that's that's okay, too, but it really is one of those things that I think the great leaders are continually learning. They're continually mm-hmm. changing. Mm-hmm. You know, so even if they were the type of person that, you know, in, in kindergarten was the leader all the way through, you know, until now, all those various things. It, it really is the leader who's learning and continuing to grow. And, and so, um, you know, that's, that's part of what you do is you work with people to really help them with those skills. 
So the kind of the perception of what is a great leader has completely flipped um, in my lifetime. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, I thought leaders were kind of authoritarian. Right. They were really hard. You will do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. My mother was German and English. Oh. Uh, she was very stoic. My grandmother even <laughs> more so. Mm-hmm. so. She had an authoritarian style. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I grew up on movies like Wall Street with Gordon mm-hmm. Gecko saying right. greed is good and he was mm-hmm. very intimidating. Mm-hmm. I grew up on movies like uh, Full Metal Jacket with a drill sergeant mm-hmm. who basically said, right. if I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, the Jetsons and Mr. Spacely screaming, you're fired. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what I thought the, uh, a leader did. Right. They were always right. They were mm-hmm. completely perfect. They were beyond reproach. Mm-hmm. They were never to be questioned. Mm-hmm. Basically, the idea was mm-hmm. you do what I say. Mm-hmm. And that whole idea of a leader today is completely um, incompatible with right. the modern environment. Mm-hmm. Today, leaders are incredibly humble. Mm-hmm. They realize they don't know it all. They mm-hmm. don't really kind of um, uh, brace themselves to being right all mm-hmm. the time, and they are perpetually growing. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I really embrace um, as a leader, a leader myself who's constantly um, in, in growth is I realize that uh, feedback is the mm-hmm. oxygen of growth. Mm. And so if you're starving yourself from getting feedback, mm-hmm. you really are starving yourself from any kind of growth at all. Right. You know, but it's tricky because you still have to be the leader and make the decisions, sometimes the very hard decisions. Um, you know, and 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 you know, you want to get feedback. You want to be part of the team, but you still have to be the authority. You know, so how how is that a challenge for people? That's a great question. And so the way I uh, thread that needle is I, you, you can be very confident and have a lot of self-confidence, but you don't want to have arrogance. Right. So you can be confident, get mm-hmm. lots of feedback, and once you've made, you know, deliberate, mm-hmm. really ch- grind into mm-hmm. a decision, be thinking about it, uh, have healthy debate and discussion mm-hmm. around a, a decision, but then when you have a lot of confidence once you've made the decision and actually moving forward. Right. Arrogance, on the, other, on the other hand, is you make a quick decision, you don't listen to feedback, mm-hmm. and any criticism just gets squashed. That's right. Oh, people don't even give it. Yes, exactly right. They're too intimidated mm-hmm. and too afraid to give you feedback, which is really, really unhealthy, both for the organization, for them, and also for you. Right. And of course, great leaders are great communicators. Um, you know, and, and I think that's probably one of the, the if, if not one of the, the best skills they have to have, the best skill. Um, because sometimes, it, you know, it, it, say you get all this, this feedback, all this input, and you decide no. You know, that's okay, but people want to know why. And and that's kind of that communication process. Because if you don't tell them why, then the next time they're going to think, well, why should I bother? You know, he's not going to pay attention to me. She doesn't care. Um, you know, and, and, and we want to know that, okay, you know, maybe, maybe it was a bonehead idea, but it was, it was still something that I felt comfortable giving. Yes. So there is this common perception of this kind of extroverted leader who's standing on a podium mm-hmm. uh, communicating with dozens, hundreds, or thousands of people who is a great communicator. Mm-hmm. And that is kind of emblazed into our collective psyche. Right. That that's what a leader does is a mm-hmm. really great communicators. 
And the truth is not all leaders are. So (laughs) you actually can become a phenomenal leader and not be phenomenal communicating. Mm -hmm. I mean, we look at Stephen Hawking. Stephen Hawking was a transformational Mm -hmm. leader Mm -hmm. and his, he brought about a new era in astrophysics. Mm -hmm. Uh, however, if you were to stand and have a conversation with him, it was what was when he was Pat was alive. was very, very painful. Mm-hmm. wasn't a great orator, right. but obviously he communicated well enough mm-hmm. to transform mm-hmm. the industries he was involved in. Mm-hmm. Now, for most business, it is really hard for most mm-hmm. organizations to be an effective leader without phenomenal communication. Right, right. You know, and and it's funny because I think we've all had the bad bosses. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I had one who. Horrific, horrific, horrific. Um, And it was funny because we sold candy. And you would think that that would just be a business that, you know, everybody would be all sweet. Oh, no. Um, And this man, I mean, he was, he really was horrible. He was, he was the screamer. He was the throw chairs. He was, you know, all of this stuff. And I was young. I was in my early 20s when I worked for him. But I was, I was raised. Um, both my parents did a very good job about teaching me to stand up for myself. And, you know, and, and so I hadn't been there very long and I went in and I told him, you will never ever do that. And I said, and you will certainly never ever call me names because that was his other big thing. He really, he liked to swear. He liked to call people names. And I remember I, I had, and it wasn't even something I had done, but he was mad and he called me the B word. Oh my gosh. Now, you know, I, I remember, and, and he was a large man, well over 300 pounds. So very physically intimidating too. And I looked at him and I said, that's once. And it, it, it stopped him. And of course I lowered my voice, which is kind of one of those communication techniques. If somebody's screaming and you lower your voice, a lot of times they lower theirs too, yada, yada. Um, but, and it's, and he said, what do you mean that's once? And I said, that's the only time you get to do that. You do it again. And I own your company. <laughs> and he actually, from then on, was pretty nice to me. Mm-hmm. Now, he screamed mm-hmm. and yelled at other people, but it was just, it was painful to work for him. He had no loyalty. He actually had, from a financial aspect, a very successful business. But mm-hmm. in all other aspects, it was a disaster. And I think mm-hmm. that's one of the things that we see with a good leader is, or not a good leader, with a, a with a, a problem leader, is they might really make a lot of money. They might really, you know, there's there's various things that they might do really well, but overall, the company's a disaster. Uh, absolutely right. So that is what I call a single factor leader. It's a leader who leads by authority. Right. And they usually try to get compliance. They get mm-hmm. compliance by fear, intimidation, mm-hmm. by rage. And what they find is their organizations never grow beyond their level of right. intimidation mm-hmm. and fear. Mm-hmm. So today's modern leadership is about, you're exactly right, exactly right the complete and total opposite. Mm-hmm. We call them five-factor leaders. Right. And their job is to actually unleash the creativity mm-hmm. and the passion and the inspiration mm-hmm. of their people so their people actually do more right. than what's required mm-hmm. versus just trying to do what is barely required of right. them and avoid any trouble. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and it's funny, we, we all kind of, you know, we, and I'm just going to group us all together. All of a sudden, we scoff at millennials, but they're in many ways, the driving f- factor, <coughs> excuse me, the driving factor in this, they want to be treated fairly. They want to have a say, you know, all these various things that the people of my generation, a lot of times went, oh, 
either I'm not going to say it or it's not going to be well received or any of those things. I just, you know, whatever. Millennials are like, "Uh uh-uh, no, you're not going to treat me like that. And I'm not going to work for a company that does that. Excellent point. So I think you're right. A lot of society scoffs at millennials, but I think millennials actually have it right. I know. Uh, I I know for me, uh, you know, I was kind of born uh, of the philosophy that, you know, greed is good. Making Mm -hmm. a lot of money is good. You make a lot of money and success equals happiness. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I spent, you know, better part of 20 years on the treadmill of working Mm -hmm. 70 hours a week, paying high personal prices Mm -hmm. and high relational prices. Uh, And and I realized now in hindsight, I, I had the formula wrong. Mm-hmm. Today, it's really about living a life of purpose. Right. So doing not only, you know, obviously making enough money so you can sustain yourself, but doing work that matters to you and right. to society mm-hmm. and having relationships with people at work and outside, having time outside of mm-hmm. work to the things that are really healthy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we were kind of raised on um, this whole idea at profits at all costs. That was mm-hmm. it. You make money no matter what. Right. And millennials are basically saying, well, money isn't everything. Mm-hmm. So we're scoffing at them, and yet we know they have the formula right. Mm-hmm. Right, right. You know, and it's it's funny. I was talking with a guest a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about the fact that you know we're always told if you're doing what you love, you know, it was it's the greatest thing. That, well, you know, there are a lot of things that we do in our businesses that we don't love. Um, you know, and and his point was he does what he does so he can do what he loves. Yeah. And I loved that because that's exactly what you were saying. You know, he, he, he you know, goes to the factory, he makes the donuts, right? You know, the old Dunkin' Donuts commercial, got to get up, got to make the donuts. Um, but he does that so that then he can do what he loves, which is spend time with his family. <laughs> when he can, he travels. Um, you know, all of these things. And I think that's, you know, a good leader also empowers his employees, his staff, all of those people to be able to do that too. You know, now granted, you can't just let everybody go willy nilly, but you know, when they know, you know, we can take a vacation and be okay. You know, how many, I mean, I remember thinking we can't take a vacation. Yep. Can't take a vacation. You know, for, for, first of all, they might discover that they can live without me. (laughs) Who wants them to know that? But we kind of felt like, like we couldn't. And that good leader really shows people, you know what? You come, you work, you, you, you know, you do what we want from you, but then you go home to what you love. Yes. So you're absolutely right. That's another great point with the ethos that we were growing up with was, you know, it was a point of pride to mm-hmm. not take vacations. Right. I didn't take vacations mm-hmm. for years. It was, you know, a point of pride, how many hours I worked. And now I realize that was absolutely mm-hmm. silly. Um, so now you're, you're absolutely right. We want to have balance. Mm-hmm. Now, something you touched on, which is really interesting in there, which is, you know, one of the things a leader does. So I really think, you know, under the, the single factor leader, which was the leader, the authoritarian leader we mm-hmm. grew up with, their job was to do the strategy, the vision, uh, the thinking, mm-hmm. <laughs> and also the dictating for the organization. Mm-hmm. They were basically a little mini dictator for the right. organization. And that was the primary goal mm-hmm. of a leader. Mm-hmm. So today, under modern leadership, I'm going to put you on the spot here, Deb. Uh-oh. What would you guess is the number one job of a leader? Delegate. Good answer. You're in the right zone. Oh, I'm close. I'm close. Oh, good. good. (laughs) Well, so here's the deal. When you delegate tasks, you create followers. When you delegate authority, Ah. you create leaders. The number one job of a leader today Mm -hmm. is leadership 
development. Mm -hmm. So the job of a leader is to actually develop other leaders. Mm -hmm. So when I first started with my business uh, 25 years ago, I was, uh, I'll I'll give you a little insight. I've got uh, ADHD. Uh, And ADHD is both a curse and also a blessing. Mm -hmm. Uh, People think people with ADHD have no focus and concentration, and that's not it. Uh, Most most people have a, a, a very, very moderate amount of focus and concentration. Mm -hmm. And when you have ADHD, you either have a ton or you have none. So on things that don't interest us, Mm -hmm. us, it is like pulling teeth to keep Mm -hmm. our attention. And when we're interested in something, oh my God, it's hyper Oh, you're just there. We're there. Mm -hmm. Oh my Mm -hmm. gosh. So when I was in college, I I struggled all the way through school. Mm -hmm. But finally, when I got into business and I could actually see the results of Mm -hmm. what I was doing, and all of a sudden I could see that it, it the kind of the pattern of putting in effort mm-hmm. and getting out results, I was hyper-focused. Mm-hmm. I could work 12 hours a day Whoa. without you know blinking an eye, without taking a break. Mm-hmm. I could just sit down at my desk and work all day mm-hmm. long. And so I had this amazing personal productivity. And I started hiring my first employees back in mm-hmm. 1998. And my, my, here was, here was my, my strategy. Hire good people, mm-hmm. point from the top of the hill, mm-hmm. tell them to charge the hill, and then mm-hmm. go walk away and do my own personal production. Right. Because <laughs> you were you were on your next task, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would you know spent one percent of my time with my people and ninety nine percent of my time doing sales, marketing, uh, negotiating, deal making, product mm-hmm. development. I spent all my time in my own little world just going out creating. Mm-hmm. What I discovered was my organizations never exceeded my personal level of production. They would hit kind of a ceiling mm-hmm. as far as what I could produce on my own. Mm-hmm. And it took me about twenty years to figure this out. Uh, you know, about 10 years ago, I reversed, completely reversed the numbers. And I now spend about 20 to 30% of my time mm-hmm. in my personal production and what I'm good at. Mm-hmm. And the other is 60 to 70% of my time in leadership developing, mm-hmm. developing my people. And that's now how I get exponential results out of my organizations right. rather than the linear results that mm-hmm. cap at my own level mm-hmm. of production. Right. So what do you tell people, Peter, though, when they say, but if I'm training leaders, they're going to leave me? No. (laughs) (laughs) So if you are putting people first, you really are a rare person, a leader. Still, uh, is you know, as much as you and I are kind of scoffing at that one-factor leader, the one who only cared about money and used Mm -hmm. fear intimidation, that is still the model, although it's a lot more uh, mitigated by most leaders today, mm-hmm. they're really just trying to make money. Mm-hmm. And leaders today who actually have five factors of leadership who really are focusing on their people, you have mm-hmm. lifelong loyalty. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't lose any employees. Right. <laughs> I sold my business. Unfortunately, I lost them when I sold them. But as they've been um, leaving that mm-hmm. last company that I sold to, mm-hmm. they've been coming back to me <laughs> ah. because I am mm-hmm. such an empowering leader. And my number one job, uh, even though now I'm in leadership development, mm-hmm. you know, rather than building an organization, my number one job is developing leaders Mm -hmm. and my people. Here is the three-step formula uh, for anybody who wants to be in leadership development. Okay. Number one, uh, instill a deep sense of mission and purpose. Mm -hmm. That means every organization needs to know the overall mission Mm -hmm. of the organization, and most importantly, why? You know, why are they doing it? What Mm -hmm. What's the benefit? And it's not make money. It isn't. You're right. (laughs) So uh, if you're in an organization which is in some way taxing society, providing more cost than benefit, you know, cigarette companies, uh, oil companies, uh, some financial institutions where you're not providing any value to Mm -hmm. humanity and it's costing us more than it's benefiting, Mm -hmm. 
you got to pay them more. Mm-hmm. And that kind of is you know, one of the reasons people oftentimes go into those sectors because they make a lot of money mm-hmm. because right. they're doing it at a cost to humanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you can't do that. So no matter what you're doing, uh, housing, financial services, mm-hmm. architecture, engineering, mm-hmm. as long as you're providing some kind of benefit, you can pay them fairly, but they get mm-hmm. rewards out of doing good for other right. people. Mm-hmm. So mission and purpose is number one mm-hmm. of the organization, of their team, and what, you know, what are they doing? What's their, mm-hmm. contri- what's their contribution? Number two is something called absolute responsibility. Hmm. Absolute responsibility is different than normal responsibility. Mm-hmm. Normal responsibility is primarily about blame or shame. Mm-hmm. Who's at fault? Who's mm-hmm. going to get fired? Who are we going to go chew out? That's what normal responsibility is. Mm-hmm. But cultures built on absolute responsibility is about ownership. Mm-hmm. Who owns the situation? Because here's the thing. When we own a situation and we really don't think about taking either credit or blame. We mm-hmm. own a situation. We can change what we own. We cannot mm-hmm. change what we do not own. We mm-hmm. have no uh, control over it. Mm-hmm. So absolute responsibility is about giving as much authority as possible down to your, I'll call them line workers for lack of a better word, the people mm-hmm. who are actually client facing as mm-hmm. much as possible. Right. So that's number two is inst- make sure everyone has absolute responsibility, mm-hmm. own their outcomes. Mm-hmm. And then number three is competency. Competency in both whatever their profession is, you know, whether it be an accountant or a project manager mm-hmm. or a plumber or whatever it is. But most importantly, uh, decision-making competence. Mm-hmm. You need to start be, ha- having a lot of transparency in how you make decisions mm-hmm. and actually train people on how to make decisions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, nowadays I make very few decisions. I make most of my decisions are after a collaboration mm-hmm. and have to do with direction and uh, vision of the mm-hmm. organization, but lots and lots of input. But nowadays my managers will come to me and say, here's the problem. Mm-hmm. I'll ask them lots of questions about the problem mm-hmm. and say things like, well, you know, what do you think? Mm-hmm. What are our options? And I mainly do coaching. And mm-hmm. usually these days, unless the consequence is catastrophic, mm-hmm. I let them right. make the decision. Mm-hmm. So that's how we create leaders or how mm-hmm. we empower people mm-hmm. is mission and purpose, absolute responsibility, mm-hmm. um, and then competency, especially in the area of decision making. Right. You know, and, and it, it's funny because one of the things that will drive me nuts faster than anything is if I'm, you know, asking someone something and they say, I don't know, I have to ask my manager. Right. Now, many times they don't have to. I mean, you know, they, they could make that decision. And, and now there are times where you have to. I mean, you know, it's, it's probably not 100%. But, you know, and, and maybe it comes back to when you're, you know, we, we all, you know, have had the experience of going in and buying a car and you say, okay, I will pay you X number of dollars. I have to ask my manager and they go away and you see them off there in their little, their, their little raised area, right? It's always because they're looking down on you and they come back and the piece of paper has happy faces and all those things written on it. And the manager spoke, they weren't up there with the manager telling them anything, they were just up there chit-chatting. And I remember the last time we bought a car, which was not all that long ago, I told the guy, you know, we said, okay, here's what we're going to pay. We were going to pay cash. So they, you know, they weren't quite wild about that. They wanted to finance it. But, you know, it was like, okay, they're going to, everybody needs their inventory cleared. And he said, I have to go check with my manager. And I said, if you come back with one happy face on that piece of paper, we're walking out of here. And he looked at me and he busted out laughing and he said, 
okay. <laughs> and, 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 you know, and he went off and, and, and they actually did have to structure it just a little bit different because we were going to pay cash, but you know, it was, that was fine. But yeah, this, this whole, well, I have to ask my manager and, you know, or you're dealing with the cable company or whoever, and they can't tell you because they have to ask their manager. No. I mean, you know, unless it is, like you said, a life or death critical decision, you should be able to tell me, can I get mashed potatoes as opposed to French fries? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a great story of Nordstrom's as they were really coming onto the retail scene back in the 80s. And more or less, their clerks could make any refund decisions they mm -hmm. thought were adequate. They made more or less, they were given the authority. Right. And that level of empowerment led to people, you know, mm -hmm. their salespeople who mm -hmm. actually were passionate about their jobs, mm -hmm. who loved working right. for the company. And that translated into the service they gave to their customers. Mm -hmm. It built a great brand, mm -hmm. great reputation, and also a very, very loyal sales right. force. So that is the argument that I'm making is mm -hmm. to push more authority, mm -hmm. not less down right. to the people who are actually client facing. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and, and they're the ones who are, at, you know, as you said, they're dealing with the people. So they're picking up on the body language, you know, all of these various things. And, you know, now they still might need to go get approval from the manager, but maybe that's, you know, the process is that the manager says, what do you think? And then that's where, you know, and, and if they say yes or no, you know, all those things, then the manager, you know, say, okay, you, you can go in and, and do that. But, you know, it's just, it's, it's so interesting how customer service changes through the years and, and, um, you know, and, 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 you know, evolves into people making decisions. And sometimes, you know, and, and the thing is, you might make the wrong decision. You might give a refund, you might give a product you shouldn't, but then it comes back to the fact that, you know what, we're not going to cut your head off over it. You're not going to lose your job. We're going to lose, use this as a learning experience. Um, you know, and, and, and that's, that's a good leader also. You're, you're absolutely right. So that's called the, called the accountability system. Mm -hmm. And yes, we should have an accountability system. But the accountability system should be largely bent, uh, be delivered around learning mm -hmm. from the experiences right. rather than blaming, mm -hmm. shaming, and making people wrong. Right. So uh, you kind of alluded to this in a really good leader. Uh, their communication always follows the three C's. So here are the three C's of good communication. Is every communication uh, needs to be calm. Mm -hmm. It needs to be confident mm -hmm. and it needs to be kind. Mm -hmm. Those are the three C's of good communication. <laughs> so yes, when you're ha in a, you know, in a, a learning situation where mm -hmm. you're going back and you look at what, what happened and what were wrong mm -hmm. with an employee with, I'm sorry, an employee, a contributor. I'll mm -hmm. talk about that in a minute and never call them employees. We call them contributors mm -hmm. is that you're never, you're looking to blame or shame. And you're just looking mm -hmm. to understand what happened so you can actually improve from the experience. Right. The most, the most common questions I ask whenever we do a, a postmortem on mm -hmm. an event or a marketing exercise, exercise is what worked and mm -hmm. what can go what can go better next time right. and we learn from those things right. on a regular yeah. basis. Yeah, and it's not what went wrong. No. It's what can go better. Exactly. Same question, different take. Mhm. Mm so yeah, we really want to work in having an environment where people don't feel shame. We mm -hmm. we just don't want them uh, we, right. we call it non-judgmental non performance mm -hmm. enhancement. So right. we're always looking for ways mm -hmm. to couch things in ways people feel good about what they mm -hmm. did. They can take away their wins and we can learn and grow. Mm -hmm. Right. 
You know, it's funny because one of the things that I was thinking about as as we were talking about this was, you know, I, I mentioned somebody said, well, you know, what if what if you empower them, you train them, all these things, and they leave you? Well, you know what? You should be glad because maybe they got something that is the, the job that is their passion. Maybe they start their own business, whatever. You should be glad that, you know, that they are are taking what they learned and doing better. Um, you know, and, and, but the, the funny thing is, of course, they'll still be really loyal to you, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, but yeah, so, so wishing them luck and maybe they're just, you know, maybe it's just that what they're doing isn't a, the best fit. Um, and so going on is, is, you know, what's, what's better for them. And so be glad for them. And, and, you know, and, and, you know, we, we all laugh that when we quit, we shouldn't really burn our bridges. Well, same thing, you know, that don't burn the bridges when someone leaves. Of course. So there is a, a subtext to your conversation, the idea that if you were a leader in developing other leaders, that it is in some way a tax on you, like mm-hmm. you're making this investment that is really a burden mm-hmm. and it really isn't. Right. <laughs> Developing people mm-hmm. is such an incredible mm-hmm. joy. It makes your job so mm-hmm. much better because right. you really can, when you start developing leaders, you stop being a babysitter, mm-hmm. a beggar where you're constantly begging Mm -hmm. um, and constantly negotiating with your people Mm -hmm. and you get to become what you've always wanted Mm -hmm. to be, which is a friend, Mm -hmm. a mentor, and Mm -hmm. a leadership coach. So it makes your job so much more Mm -hmm. enjoyable Mm -hmm. when you're making an investment into your people as a co-leader on this path Mm -hmm. that you're on as well, Mm -hmm. uh, rather than having to manage what they're doing on a day-to-day basis, which is just fatiguing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and I mentioned at the start that as we're recording this, we're right in the middle of the pandemic. A great majority of people are still working from home. Um, you know, offices aren't open. If they are, you know, it's it's a very limited degree. Obviously, there's essential workers, you know, people like that. But it's the leadership has really been a challenge right now for a variety of reasons. And and one of the things that I heard, and and this was just on the radio this morning, was that. Many leaders said it's going much better than they had thought it would. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a variety of reasons for that, but a, a good portion of it is just exactly what we're talking about. You know, it's, it, you weren't having to watch over their shoulders, to babysit them. You trust them. Um, you know, yeah, there were some growing pains, especially because it was you're going home tomorrow. I mean, you know, nobody had any planning. It's not, you know, like I, I know people who said, but I don't have an office chair <laughs> you know? or, or, you know, even, even more important, they might've had a, a chair because they, you know, but they didn't have the right technology, the right equipment, all sorts of things like that. And so, you know, the first couple of weeks really were pretty rough, but then I think a lot of people discovered, wow, this works. And so one of the things that, that I think coming out of this, we're going to see is a lot of people are going to stay home. For a you know for a variety of reasons, but managers discovered and leaders have discovered this worked. Now, granted, it's going to cut down on some costs. There might not be some overhead. You know, they might be able to sell some buildings. You know, not have such space rented. All of those things, but they discovered these were good people, and they're still doing great work. If anything, they might be doing even better work now. Yeah, for a lot of people, they've actually pivoted really well to working at home. Uh, it's been a, definitely a transition, but you're right. Uh, American innovation is still very, very present. Mm-hmm. We're still managing to keep our cultures, and leaders mm-hmm. have been adapting to this mm-hmm. new way of working. You're absolutely right about that. Right. You know, it does make me wish I would have bought 
Zoom stock. Right. <laughs> you know, as, as we're doing this on Zoom. But, you know, it's, it is interesting because it's going to make leaders, they're going to really have to pivot um, depending on what they were doing. Now, there, there are obviously going to be some businesses where they have to go back into the office, um, you know, and, and things will be different there. You know, no longer are they going to have say, or at least for a while, the, the team meetings, um, you know, kind of hard to social distance, all of those various things. So, there, you know, there's just going to be some logistical type of, of things. But I think leaders are really going to find that their teams might be spread out. They might be having to deal with the fact that, you know, this person, because their child is, is maybe going to have to continue homeschooling, they're going to do their work in the evenings. But wow. They still did great work, um, you know, and, and so I, I really see this as, as a great challenge in a good way for leaders. Mm-hmm. It really has been. I mean, we as human beings love um, certainty. And we really hate uncertainty. We, oh, we yeah. Really, that, really, oh, really it's just it. been a disaster with uncertainty. We're like, ah. <laughs> It causes a lot of anxiety. We are incredibly anxious species. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We want to have, you know, guaranteed housing. We want right. to know uh, guaranteed security. We want to have guaranteed food source. We want to have guaranteed health. We really want to have this kind of guaranteed life. And unfortunately, it, it isn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're kind of discovering that here, even in the United States with our incredible high standard of living, uh, that our, you know, our well-being is not guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can have a pandemic come uh, right. hit us, and all of a sudden we're not impervious mm-hmm. from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, good leaders are are able to be very, very adaptive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, when they see that the situation is changing on the ground, they can actually change along with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's one of the things that makes leaders great is how quickly they can adapt to changing mm-hmm. situations. Right. You know, one of the things that you work with people on is the fact that loneliness is mm. is often an issue for leaders. So talk to us more about that. And then let's talk about, because of the pandemic, how that is is a, a really big factor now. So for me, um, everything uh, in leadership, everything about leadership, it begins and ends with people. Mm-hmm. So for a lot of leaders, uh, everything for them uh, begins and ends with results. And mm-hmm. that's not where it begins and ends for me. It actually is all about people. I love people. I want to see them transform, mm-hmm. uh, and I want them to transform their lives in a way that their lives actually become better. Mm-hmm. Um, oh gosh, I'm so sorry, Beb. I forgot where I was headed with that. What was the the, the essence of your question? Oh, loneliness. Loneliness. Yeah. Yes, that so was it. <laughs> here's why loneliness is um, so incredibly bad. Let me ask you a couple of questions, Deb. These are very just short one-word answers, all right? What is your best guess uh, how many hours a day a human being needs of good social contact to maximize their sense of authenticity, well-being, esteem, and confidence. How many hours a day do you think a human being needs? Two hours. Good guess. The answer is about three to four hours a day. Mm. Wow. Now, this is this number is pre-pandemic. This is 2017 mm-hmm. data. How many uh, minutes, hours is the average American actually getting of good social contact per day? Ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Good guess. And the answer is 41 minutes. Mm -hmm. So we need between three and four hours. We're getting, this is pre-pandemic, 41 minutes. I don't know what the numbers are now Mm -hmm. during the pandemic. Uh, And how many hours a day are we spending in front of screens? Screens include your computer screen at work, your TV screen, uh, your tablets, your phones. Mm -hmm. How many hours a day are we spending in front of screens? Well, it's it's far too much. Um, And, and, uh, you know, eight 
Good guess. That's mm-hmm. 11 and a half hours. So we need three to four hours of human contact mm-hmm. to kind of maximize our sense mm-hmm. of confidence and esteem and well-being, mm-hmm. to minimize anxiety and depression. We're only getting 41 minutes mm-hmm. uh, and we're spending 11 hours plus in front of screens. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason this matters to me is when people are feeling depressed anxious, mm-hmm. uh, the confidence is low, they're not bringing their best. They're right. not being able mm-hmm. to, they don't feel confident engaging. Mm-hmm. They don't feel confident about collaborating. They might uh, be over there in a meeting in a kind of in self-wallow. Mm-hmm. They might be ruminating about a bad interaction. And when we are feeling our best, we are much better leaders. We mm-hmm. connect better. We are engaged more. We're giving our best. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're looking for is how do we minimize the taxes that happen in so many organizations? Mm-hmm. You know, the squabbles, the office politics, mm-hmm. the boundary violations. How do we minimize then that so we can spend as much time as possible actually productively meeting and engaging mm-hmm. and developing each other and also producing great results? And mm-hmm. so that's one of the things I'm so focused on and why I think it really matters that we actually connect in the workplace and we connect outside of the mm-hmm. workplace to really maximize our overall well-being. Right. You know, and unfortunately now we've lost those connections, mm. um, you know, and, and I agree that we shouldn't, you know, a lot of people have said, you know, we, we shouldn't call it social distancing. We should call it physical distancing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because we need that social. And, and it's weird because now we're having to combine it. You know, we're not supposed to have screen time, but that's the only way we can connect with people right now. Um, you know, and, and, and I think that really, it, it, you know, it, it, is a challenge and it doesn't matter if you're extrovert introvert all of those various things the fact that we don't have that right now i think is an issue um you know i definitely feel it now clearly i'm really social um but you know it's just yeah people people just miss that some of my friends who are true true introverts have said this is even more difficult for them because you know, they're just, they, they, it's different when you choose to isolate than when you're forced to isolate. I couldn't agree more. So, you know, when our society was open and we were very mm-hmm. productive, the kind of complaints I was hearing is this, you know, there's so many people on the road, there's so much traffic. Mm-hmm. You know, I went to the bars and restaurants, they were so crazy and they were so full. Mm-hmm. And we were, you know, our, we were involved in a work confrontation and somebody, you know, upset them or they mm-hmm. offended them in some way, mm-hmm. you know, they were kind of uh, bristling at all of the uh, imposed upon costs of social mm-hmm. interaction. And now that we have that taken away from us, mm-hmm. we're like, oh my God, I really miss this. I know. I miss, I going miss Bob. To a- <laughs> I want to see Sue. Right. <laughs> All those things. Mm-hmm. I, I just want to, you know, we, I used to complain about airplanes and hotels. I mm-hmm. you know, please let I me know. go to a hotel somewhere. I just want to sit in the hotel lobby right. and just see people, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I miss my meetings. I miss, mm-hmm. you know, having getting upset. I miss the social mm-hmm. interaction. So I used to believe that there were three legs to our overall health. Here are the mm-hmm. three legs that were on there. And I realize now that I'm missing one. Uh, the first leg is diet. You know, obviously, what we're putting in our mm-hmm. bodies really matters to our physical mm-hmm. health. Number two is exercise. Mm-hmm. We should be exercising vigorously at least three times a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, number three is sleep. We need, mm-hmm. even us adults, need between seven and eight hours or right. more of really good sleep. Mm-hmm. And the fourth leg to our, so to our physical health is social mm-hmm. interaction. Mm-hmm. So we need three to four hours of really good empathetic connections mm-hmm. every single day. We're not 
with another human being in front of a screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so empathy is what really matters. And we still can get that, by mm-hmm. the way, uh, through a Zoom call. It's not right. as good mm-hmm. as sitting across from you having coffee or mm-hmm. uh, having dinner, something along those lines. But you know, I've been scheduling 30-minute Zoom calls with friends just so mm-hmm. I can, or FaceTime calls or right. Facebook messenger mm-hmm. calls where I can video, take, video, mm-hmm. video talk just so I can see them. Mm-hmm. So we, they think they're, uh, neuroscientists think there is a neuron in the brain called a mirror neuron. Mm-hmm. And when we see other people and we're empathizing mm-hmm. with them and when we're connected with them, it releases more oxytocin mm-hmm. into us, which is one of the things that makes us feel better. Right. And it's, it's that actual interaction. It's mm-hmm. not going on Facebook and reading what people are saying, no. um, you know, because all that's going to do is upset you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, let's just be honest. And I spend quite a bit of time on Facebook, but I also have learned scroll past, ignore, scroll past, ignore, I mean, you know, for whatever it is. But yeah, it's, it is that interaction. And what, what's been fun is seeing how families are really coming back together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, having dinner together, working on puzzles, going for walks. Um, we've got a, a big trail here behind the house that we we use every day because we walk the dogs. But, you know, now we're seeing, and we see them every night, family gr- groups, you know, whether they're riding their bikes, whether they're walking, whatever. And, you know, and, and it's the same families. So we're all pretty, you know, I'm sure what's happening is we, we are all eating dinner and then we're going out. Um, and, you know, four months ago, I mean, you know, I'm even lost as to when this whole thing started. Um, we didn't see those people and now we do. And of course, what I'm hoping is that that continues, you know, that people continue to say, hey, we need to spend time with our kids. This, this was great getting to know them as little people, um, you know, and, and all these various things and, and friends. I mean, I'm, we're seeing lots of groups of, of people that, you know, are just friends who are walking and, and all of those things. And so it's, it is still possible. We do a, a thing here in, in our cul-de-sac. We're right at the very end of our, our cul-de-sac. And every Saturday, we've been getting together, properly distanced, of course, um, but we're outside. So, you know, that makes it pretty easy. But we've been getting together almost every Saturday evening since this started. And it's great fun. Sometimes we just sit and talk. Sometimes we play cornhole. I mean, all sorts of stuff. Um, You know, and, 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 you know, I discovered that when we don't do that, I really miss that. Yeah, I can totally imagine that too. Mm-hmm. That's such a great, wonderful, fantastic habit for you. I'm so incredibly happy that you got getting innovative. So as the quarantine um, and pandemic has been evolving, we're learning a lot more about how it spreads. Mm-hmm. And it turns out the three most simple things you can do to almost, almost uh, eliminate any risk mm-hmm. of getting COVID are the following. Uh, number one, one socialize outdoors. <laughs> uh, so being outdoors with mm-hmm. a, a wind, it mm-hmm. turns out the aerosol from our breath creates right. a, a little bubble around mm-hmm. us. And when yeah. you're outside and so blow wind, it away. It dissipates. Mm-hmm. And usually not enough of that would actually mm-hmm. get caught uh, in somebody else's lungs. Right. Uh, number two, stay six feet apart. <laughs> mm-hmm. So even when you're outdoors, mm-hmm. can't be three feet apart. You really got to be six right. feet apart. Your, your aerosol bubble usually doesn't extend past mm-hmm. that. Right. Uh, and then number three is to wear a mask. I know. Those I, three things will mm-hmm. almost virtually eliminate any risk of you. So if you want right. to socialize, just follow those mm-hmm. three simple steps, mm-hmm. outdoors, a mask, mm-hmm. six feet apart, and you're actually in right. pretty good shape. Right. You know, and, and, you know, w- without it turning into a political discussion, now I wear a mask. 
I mean, that's just, I, I go out, I wear a mask. Now, now it's become a fashion statement. Does this right. match this outfit? I mean, you know, all these various things. And, and I'm pretty sure that my doctors are going to tell me, you're wearing a mask for a really long time. Um, you know, and that's okay. Um, but it's, it is, it's, you know, we, it's fairly simple steps that we can take um, to, to do that. And, and, but that comes back to the leaders, you know, are they wearing them? Um, I saw a thing on, and this was on Facebook last week, but it was just, that was where they posted the pictures. It was a business association meeting. We have lots of those down here in Atlanta. Um, I love them. They're great. They're kind of area focused because it's a big area. And, and so, you know, rather than just having a chamber, there's these smaller kind of groups. And, and so one of the, the groups got together last week in a restaurant, no masks, yeah, no social distancing. I mean, lots of pictures of hugging and it was a buffet where people were serving themselves. Oh, dear. <laughs> I would have left. I mean, I guess, it would have, yeah. my blood pressure would have just kept going, buggada, 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 and I would have had to have left. You know, and, and, and of course, my fear is that there is one asymptomatic person who went. Um, you know, and, and, and that's, you know, that's, that's the whole thing. But it, coming back to, to leaders, the leaders should have said, you know, we're going to do something different. Um, one of the other business associations that I belong to has started having their, their, their monthly lunches again, but they're outside. You know, the table that normally would have seated eight, they're putting four people at. Um, you know, it, it's a box lunch. I mean, all these various things. So the leaders set the tone for how it's going to go forward. Yes. So one of the most important things a leader does is model the behavior that mm -hmm. you want among your people. Right. It's, it's absolutely, mm -hmm. completely and totally right. And when a, a leader really knows what matters most, they have a, a really strong sense of a moral compass mm -hmm. and they know what their meta value is. Uh, my meta value is maximizing human well-being. Mm -hmm. And so when knowing that my, my, it's my, the top of my compass, mm -hmm. uh, I would never want to put my people in a way right. that would actually cause them that kind of physical mm -hmm. risk. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and, and unfortunately, it has meant that we've lost businesses, <coughs> that businesses have closed, that they've lost employees. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, all sorts of things. And, and I mean, that's, that's the, the other bad part about all of this. Um, you know, so many companies tried to do as much as they could for as long as they could. Mm -hmm. But it, this obviously drug on a lot longer. And who knows really how long it's going to go. Um, you know, is there going to be a second wave? Is there not? You know, all these various things. And, and so, again, it's going to come back to the, the leadership. You know, what are, what are they going to, to model for people? You're, you're absolutely right. It's been absolutely um, crushing to see so many small business owners mm -hmm. have to close their doors. Right. It really is. I'm, mm -hmm. I, my heart goes out to mm -hmm. them. And what makes it so hard is it may, it may feel like the government is doing it to them. Mm -hmm. And rather because the COVID's invisible, <laughs> so right. they can't see it. No. So if, you know, if it was, you know, Godzilla crushing the shores and they actually saw, you know, I'm voting for Godzilla. Godzilla or aliens are the next thing. Right. <laughs> we actually could physically see them. We would understand mm -hmm. it's not the government who is doing mm -hmm. these things, actually, but it's an it's invisible bug. Uh, but yeah, it's been really, really hard for mm -hmm. all, to watch um, all of these restrictions come in place to keep us safe. Uh, it's been a very heartbreaking. Heart right. And, and of course, it doesn't help that, that it's, it's new. I mean, we just don't know an awful lot about it, um, you know, and, and so it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely a challenge, um, you know, and, and, but, but yeah, we, my husband and I were just talking about this the other day. There's a restaurant near us that just opened 
you know, mm. late last fall, these folks dumped a bunch of money mm. into this restaurant and they're gone. Um, oh, so you know, they, they hadn't established a well enough customer base mm-hmm. that they could continue with curbside delivery, you know, whatever, mm. all of those various things. Um, but, you know, and, and so they've lost it. But on the, the other hand, I was just earlier today messaging with a restaurant that is getting ready to start in the middle of all of this. Um, and, you know, and, and so my question to them, was, and, and I mean, they're almost ready to start. They said, you know, that their post today was paid for our liquor license. Um, you know, and, and so they've just gone merrily ahead with all of this. And, and so my question to them was, is there going to be outside dining? And they said, right now, no. Of course, the first things we will be doing is simply takeout and delivery. Um, and so, but yeah, I mean, I, Good for them to think, you know what, we're still going to do this, um, you know, and, and I really hope that, that they are very successful. Oh, yeah, I hope so, too. It's a-, a brilliant, brilliant pivot on their part. I'm inspired. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and of course they, they, you know, they lost several months because they couldn't work, um, you know, and, and, but yeah, I mean, it's been very interesting. The fact that they just kind of went, Okay. <laughs> well, we're just going to keep going. Um, might they lose their money? Sure. But they also could lose it no matter what or be very successful no matter what. Oh, great point. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So I love that mentality of a, so what, now what? Mm-hmm. So what happened? Now mm-hmm. we're going to do. And yeah. that really is the, one of mm-hmm. the phrases of absolute responsibility mm-hmm. that makes it work. Yeah. Is because mm-hmm. as long as you're ruminating and wallowing mm-hmm. and blaming and shaming, mm-hmm. You really are putting a right. huge tax mm-hmm. um, on your menta- on mm-hmm. your intellectual capacity mm-hmm. to actually be solving the problem. Mm-hmm. You're basically wallowing in the problem, right? Right. Yeah, and I always tell people it's okay to have a pity party. Just don't live there. Um, you know, and 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 we do need to always recognize. Okay, this went wrong, and it's what we've been saying. Why? What mm-hmm. do we do to make it better for next time? Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. And that is the, the key to absolute responsibility. Mm-hmm. And once you start operating in absolute responsibility, you sp- have a lot fewer pity parties. You get a lot mm-hmm. less angry because mm-hmm. uh, you understand there's just a certain level of hazard um, mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're driving in Atlanta or if you're driving in Southern California, you go out for a drive, you know you're going to hit traffic. Right. <laughs> you know, Except you not now. I mean, you know, it's not nearly as bad. They, I told somebody, I said, this is just way cool. There's not a ton of traffic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> If you travel in airplanes, not now, but you know you're going to get stranded at some point in time in right. the course of the year. Mm-hmm. So these, there's just hazards in business and more absolute responsibility you have, which means you know that you are creating your reality, mm-hmm. you're creating your outcome, mm-hmm. the less angry and upset you are mm-hmm. and the more time you spend just on working on solutions. Right. And being resourceful. And, yeah. And, and of course, a big part of it is planning. You know, you mentioned mm-hmm. being stranded. Okay. So maybe you always have a change of clothes with you. Or, um, you know, as, as a business, you've, you've got, you know, maybe you've got a, a bank account that's got some money. I mean, you know, we're, we've always been told you'll be able to survive for X number of months, depending on who you're talking to. If you lose your job, you know, do you have that in savings? It's not always possible for everybody to do these things, but the more you can plan. Now, could we plan for this pandemic? No. And so everybody went out and bought toilet paper. I, that I never understood. That's just the weirdest thing about all of this. It happened worldwide, though. So it gives you a little know. bit of solace. It's like, uh, you know, and, and we're still trying to find the disinfectant wipes. But, um, you know, it's, it's just, yeah. So planning is just very bizarre. But I tell people, you know, I'm from the mountains of Colorado. I could live, you know, my husband and I could live on what we have here in and in the freezer for several weeks. 
I mean, that's just because we used to have to do that. We couldn't get out. There were those mountains and snow and we couldn't get out. And so it just kind of was ingrained in me. Okay, you've got lots of macaroni, you've got lots of soup, you've got you know some frozen meats. You might not enjoy it, but you're going to be okay, um, you know. And and so, but that the whole planning thing is just you know. And and but you know, again, you couldn't plan for the pandemic. I mean, you couldn't plan for the fact that I mean, I mentioned in when I was reading your bio, you have two teenagers. All of a sudden, they were home, <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. yeah. and assuming that the you know and and so it's like oh my gosh and and you know how do you plan for homeschooling them? Um, you know, I talked to people who said this is great. <laughs> All of a sudden, we have four people on our Wi-Fi, and it's not great. You mm-hmm. know, where we you know and and so they were having to prioritize. Okay, well, I can't do this because my kids have to do this and and my you know all of these various things and and so. Um, that, but that's going to be a great thing for businesses. I mean, just watching some of the businesses that are starting up or, or pivoting during all of this has really been interesting. Oh yeah. It's been absolutely amazing. I, you know, I, one of the things I do, I'm a, I'm a leadership strategist mm-hmm. and I work with business leaders mm-hmm. during these critical times. Mm-hmm. And so we've got a whole series of questions that we kind of go through and helping them assess mm-hmm. where they are. Uh, where they want to go, mm-hmm. where the opportunities are, where the threats are, and make those very important pivots. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the businesses that we're working with are actually growing right now right. Mm-hmm. Uh, because in all the chaos, the businesses that were caught not only caught flat-footed but stayed flat-footed mm-hmm. um, are really right. hurting. hurting. Mm-hmm. And the businesses that are pivoted mm-hmm. are actually growing. I'm right. really impressed by it. I know. I mean, you know, now granted, statistics – I learned this a long time ago. Statistics can be made to tell you whatever you want. Um, but, you know, things are going back up. And that's been what's kind of amazing about all of this. We're still right in the middle of it. And, in fact, some of the things are going down or up. Yeah, I'm not quite sure. We, if you're having more cases, that's not good. But yeah, I don't know. Um, but, but, yeah, it's, you know, they, they are, you know, people, people have figured out, okay, well, this is what we're going to do now. Um, you know, the, the companies that went, okay, well, we're going to make masks. We're going to make ventilators. Um, you know, all of the restaurants, you know, back, back to them that they went, okay, we're going to deliver food. We're going to do takeout. You know, it was clearly different. I mean, the ones that I've seen that have added drive-through windows, I'm like, oh my gosh, isn't that great? Yeah, they're very, very inspirational mm-hmm. to see him go. Okay, what, what are we going to do? And mm-hmm. and then just make it happen. Right. So that's kind of my focus on a, with on this program we do called the High Performance Organization mm-hmm. is to get everyone involved. I just in the opened that website. Oh, thank you. That really is our focus Mm -hmm. is to get, you know, oftentimes I've been there as a leader going, okay, I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. Where do we go? Mm -hmm. Uh, But now we actually have developed a process. You get everybody um, in the organization Mm -hmm. involved in working on the solutions. It isn't so dependent just on the leader Mm -hmm. to have really great ideas. And the other thing we want to do is, as I mentioned earlier, is eliminate all the taxes. Mm-hmm. So taxes, when I say taxes, I'm not talking about the, you know, the taxes you pay to state and right. federal governments. I'm talking about all the taxes that happen in an organization where we're wasting our time on unproductive activities, mm-hmm. whether it be worry or mm-hmm. stress or politics mm-hmm. or babysitting. We want to make sure that all of the ores of mm-hmm. an organization are hitting the water at the same mm-hmm. time and moving with the same level of pull right. in the same direction. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of leadership system we put in place right. for organizations. Yeah. Because if you don't, you're going in circles. <laughs> you know? I mean, I don't. I'm I'm not a robot person. With but I know, you know, if the oars aren't synchronized, you're gonna go in circles. 
Yeah. And most organizations have never experienced that before. They don't know what it feels like to have right. everyone rowing mm-hmm. with the same effort in the mm-hmm. same direction at the mm-hmm. same time. Right. But it almost feels like it, what happens when you get a crew boat and you have eight men, mm-hmm. eight people, excuse me, mm-hmm. uh, in a boat rowing at the same time, mm-hmm. it feels like this supernatural force. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. and, propelling you through mm-hmm. the water. That's what we want to create right. in your organization. Well, and it doesn't feel like you're going in, in, in you're fighting mm-hmm. for inches right. and half feet anymore. Mm-hmm. Now you're getting yards worth of mm-hmm. growth with the same level of effort. Mm-hmm. Right. Or even less effort. That's mm-hmm. what always fascinates me when, when you watch them is you can tell that they're, they're not pushing to their ultimate, you know, as much as they can. They're they're at a nice easy pace, yeah. which is you know I mean that's what you want in your office. I mean you don't want people working eight ten hours a day, you know maybe six works after we're through with all this pandemic. But you know maybe six works because everybody's going in the same direction. We're all putting out the same amount of effort, and if they're not, then that's where the good leader either works with them or says you know what. Maybe now is the time for you to find something else, and and that unfortunately is what leaders have to do. There is definitely part of that. It's you know one of the big areas we focus on is called boundary enforcement, mm-hmm. and boundary enforcement is how we as individuals keep ourselves safe and also mm-hmm. an organization safe. Mm-hmm. And so when we create an expectation of a certain level of performance of our mm-hmm. people, which we should do both verbally and in writing, mm-hmm. and if they're unable to do it after repeated coaching and training, they're unable to meet their end of the agreement, that is the best thing we can mm-hmm. do as a leader. Right. Uh, but we can still be have our relationships, we can still have integrity, mm-hmm. uh, and we can leave, have people leave our organizations with dignity when done right. Right. Back to that not burning bridges thing. Mm-hmm. I, I still have personal relationships with people mm-hmm. in my organizations who I've terminated, mm-hmm. right. <laughs> believe it or not. Mm-hmm. And I still, sometimes when I travel, when I used to travel, I would still see them because I liked them personally, mm-hmm. but our working relationship mm-hmm. just wasn't working anymore. Right. You know, and, and I mean, there are times where it's just not a good fit. And that's okay. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with anybody. You know, it, mm. it, maybe that's, you know, for, for, and there's a variety of reasons why it might not have been a good fit. And hopefully then they went on and found the good fit. Yeah, absolutely right. You know, uh, most likely any average adult's going to work for a couple different, couple mm-hmm. dozen different companies. So that means that if it takes 24, that means 23 of them are not going to work out. So right. <laughs> <laughs> that means either they quit. We, we terminate you or the mm-hmm. business goes under or you retire there. There's only four options. Mm-hmm. And most likely retiring there is only going to happen to one business. Mm-hmm. We've got to kind of walk into the relationships knowing that there's a 99% chance one of the other three options. Mm-hmm. Right, right. <sighs> Peter, we're almost at the top of the hour. Can you believe it? That was and so there's much all fun. these questions it, that I still have. You know, it, so it, this it, just it, means we have to chat again. Time flies when you're having fun, Deb. It, it, it felt like just 15 minutes. I know, I know. You know, I always know when I look down and go, wait a minute, what time? No, this can't be right. Um, but tell us how people find you and connect with you online. So there's two ways to find me. The easiest way is going to petermontoya.com. So, you know, I wrote a book um, called The Personal Branding, the, the Brand Called You. It's all on personal branding. So it's easy to find me that way, mm-hmm. petermontoya.com. And then on there is a, a button for our program called the High Performance Organization. Mm-hmm. And that is a high performance group mentoring program okay. where we actually instill the system into organizations mm-hmm. so they start producing extraordinary results. Better performance for people, happier mm-hmm. people, and phenomenal, phenomenal results. Mm-hmm. And that is an application program where we really are looking for the, the A players mm-hmm. who are really ready to grow their organizations. Uh, and so you can push that button for the high performance organization mm-hmm. once you get to petermontoya.com. 
Great. I love it. I love it. And um, that's, it's a limited, you know, as you said, it's a limited program because you, you, you know, you, you want the best people in it. So you're not going to take everybody that, that wants to be there. All those My A players do not want to play with anything else other than A oh. players who are in the organization. So mm-hmm. if, if every once in a while I, and my heart goes out of somebody, mm-hmm. but I can tell they're not ready. Mm-hmm. I put them in the program mm-hmm. and everyone just excoriates mm-hmm. me uh, for doing that. So I've mm-hmm. really got to make sure that people go into the program are ready to grow themselves mm-hmm. and grow their organizations mm-hmm. by 25 to 50% or more per mm-hmm. year. Right, right. And yeah, you're right. Not everybody's ready for that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and, but you've got other great resources on your website, which is, as you said, petermontoya.com. And so you know, look there, folks. That's where you're going to find the information. Thank you so much, Dad. And at some point, you'll be back to public speaking in front of people. Oh, so that's yeah, where you find wait. that information. I miss my too. audiences. So I'm getting really good at webinars and working mm-hmm. and doing exercises and stuff like that. But I really miss being in front of an audience. Yeah, I mean, as as a speaker, you you feed on that energy. Um, you know, it always bothers me when I'm doing a webinar and and I don't have the people there. You know, because mm-hmm. and I, I feel like I'm talking to nobody. You know, and and you want to say hello. Hello, yes, you know, exactly. And, and so, but yeah, that it's really hard for public speakers. So yeah. cool. Well, do you have any final thoughts you want to leave everyone with? You know, we talked about this just briefly and we talked about, you know, where is your moral compass mm-hmm. headed? So my moral compass is set very definitively um, at human well-being. Mm-hmm. And each and every person, the most important question you could probably ask yourself is where is your moral compass headed? Mm-hmm. And once you know what that is, it helps you set your morality of what is good and bad. I would say that most Americans, by default, their moral compass is basically set at personal enrichment. Mm-hmm. So if it makes them money and makes them famous, it's good. And if it doesn't, it's bad. And that usually is not a very productive uh, setting for their compass. Mm-hmm. And I would love for people to consider where do they think, what is the purpose mm-hmm. of life? And I really believe it's maximizing human well-being. Right. And right now, folks, we've got time to be thinking about this. Mm-hmm. Just the fact that we're not commuting. I mean, think all of that time. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, yeah, great. Good point. Well, Peter, I can't wait to continue this again. I think Me this too. is going to be something that you know, we need to revisit as I'd stuff shakes down. Um, you know, because as we said, leadership is going to change. You know, in six months, a year, when we figure out, okay, most people are going to home office or hybrids. I mean, all these various things. It'll be interesting to figure, you know, to, to discuss how leadership is having to evolve and change. We certainly will. I've got a couple books in the works, so I'd love to come back and chat with you again, Deb. Perfect. I love it. I love it. Well, obviously, stay in touch. And until then, I'm Deb Creer. I've been having an absolutely fascinating discussion about leadership with Peter Montoya. And everyone have a great day. Tune in for our next program for even more trends, best practices, and techniques for how to make your business a success. The Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer, is proud to be part of the C-Suite Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>